Chapter six part one of Pointed Roofs by Dorothy Richardson. The Sleeperbox recording is in the public domain. Section one. Fräulein Pfaff came to the breakfast table a little late, in a grey stuff dress with a cream coloured rucking about the collar band, and ruckings against her long brown wrists. The girls were already in their places, and as soon as Grace was said she began talking in a gentle, decisive voice. Martin's sponge bags, her face creased for her cavernous smile, are both large and strong, beautiful gummy bags, each large enough to contain a family of sponges. The table listened intently. Miriam tried to remember the condition of her side of the garret. She saw Judy's scarlet flush across the table. Millie, went on Fräulein, is the owner of a damp-proof hold-all for the bath, which is a veritable monument. Monument? laughed a German voice apprehensively. Fancy a monument on your washstand, tittered Jimmy. Fräulein raised her voice slightly, still smiling. Miriam heard her own name and stiffened. Miss Henderson is an Englishwoman, too, and our little Ulrica joins the English party. Fräulein's voice had thickened and grown caressing. Perhaps no one was in trouble. Ulrica bowed. Her wide-open, startled eyes and the outline of her pale face remained unchanged. Still gentle and tender-voiced, Fräulein reached Judy and the Germans. All was well. Soaps and sponges could go in the English bags. Judy's downcast crimson face began to recover its normal clear flush, and the Germans joined in the general rejoicing. They were to go, Miriam gathered, in the afternoon to the baths. She had never been to a public baths. She wished Fräulein could know there were two bathrooms in the house at Barnes, and then wondered whether in German baths one was left to oneself, or whether there, too, there would be some woman superintending. Fräulein jested softly on about her children and their baths. Gertrude and Jimmy recalled incidents of former bathings. The stories went on until breakfast had prolonged itself into a sitting of happy adventurers. The room was very warm and coffee-scented. Clara at her corner sat with an outstretched arm nearly touching Fräulein Pfaff, who was sitting forward glowing and shedding the light of her dark young eyes on each in turn. There were many elbows on the table. Judy's head was raised and easy. Miriam noticed that the whiteness of her neck was whiter than those strange bright patches where her eyelashes shone. Ulrica's eyes went from face to face as she listened, and Miriam fed upon the outlines of her head. She wished she could place her hands on either side of its slenderness, and feel the delicate skull and gaze undisturbed into the eyes. Section 2 Fräulein Pfaff rose at last from the table. Na, Kinder, she smiled, holding her arms out to them all. She turned to the nearest window. Defenster auf, she cried, in quivering tones. Die Hartzen auf, up the windows, up with hearts. Her hands struggled with the hasp of the long-closed outer frame. The girls crowded round as the lattices swung wide. The air poured in. Miriam stood in a vague crowd, seeing nothing. 
she felt the movement of her own breathing and the cool streaming of the air through her nostrils she felt comely and strong that's a thrush she heard bertha martin say as a chattering flew across a distant garden and fraulein's half-singing reply know you children what the thrush says know you and minna's eager voice sounding out into the open ja ja ich weiß ritzefitzier sagt sie ritzefitzier das vierundzwanzigste jahr and voices imitating spring 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 breathed clara in a low sing-song miriam found herself with her hands on the doors leading into the saal pushing them gently why not everything had changed everything was good the great doors gave the sunlight streamed from behind her into the quiet saal she went along the pathway it made and stood in the middle of the room the voices from the schoolroom came softly far away she went to the centre window and pushing aside its heavy curtains saw for the first time that it had no second pane like the others but led directly into a sort of summer-house open in front and leading by a wooden stairway down to the garden plot up the railing of the stairway and over the entrance of the summer-house a creeping plant was putting out tiny leaves it was in shadow but the sun caught the sharply peaked gable of the summer-house and on the left the tops of the high shrubs lining the pathway leading to the wooden door and the great balls finishing the high stone gateway shone yellow with sunlit lichen she heard the schoolroom windows close and the girls clearing away the breakfast things and escaped upstairs singing before she had finished her duties a summons came jimmy brought the message panting as she reached the top of the stairs hurry up hendy she gasped you're one of the distinguished ones my dear what do you mean miriam began apprehensively as she turned to go oh jimmy she tried to laugh ingratiatingly do tell me what you mean jimmy turned and raised a plump hand with a sharply quirked little finger and a dangle of lace-edged handkerchief you're a swell my dear you're in with the specials and the classic knot what do you mean you're going to read gertie or something no idiots admitted you're going it hendy ta-ta fly don't stick in the mud old slow coach i'll come in a second said miriam adjusting hairpins she was to read goethe with fraulein pfaff fraulein knew she would be one of the few who would do for a goethe reading she reached the little room smiling with happiness here she is was fraulein's greeting the little group ulrica mina and solomon martin were sitting about informally in the sunlit window space minna and solomon had needlework ulrica was gazing out into the garden miriam sank into the remaining low seated wicker chair and gave herself up fraulein began to read as she did at prayers slowly almost below her breath but so clearly that miriam could distinguish each word and her face shone as she bent over her book it was a poem in blank verse with long undulating lines miriam paid no heed to the sense she heard nothing but the even swing 
the slight rising and falling of the clear low tones she felt once more the opening of the schoolroom window she saw the little brown summer-house and the sun shining on the woodwork of its porch summer coming summer coming in germany she drew a long breath the poem was telling of someone getting away out of a room out of narrow conversation to a meadow-covered plain of a white pathway winding through the green minna put down her sewing and turned her kind blue eyes to fräulein pfaff's face ulrica sat drooping her head bent her great eyes veiled her hands entwined on her lap the little pathway led to a wood the wide landscape disappeared fräulein's voice ceased section three she handed the book to ulrica indicating the place and ulrica read her voice sounded a higher pitch than fräulein's it sounded out rich and full and liquid and seemed to shake her slight body and echo against the walls of her face it filled the room with a despairing ululation fräulein seemed by contrast to have been whispering piously in a corner listening to the beseeching tones hearing no words miriam wished that the eyes could be raised when the reading ceased to hers and that she could go and put her hands about the beautiful head scarcely touching it and say it is all right i will stay with you always she watched the little hand that was not engaged with the book and lay abandoned outstretched listless and shining on her knee solomon's needle snapped she frowned and roused herself heavily to secure another from the basket on the floor at her side miriam flashing hatred at her caught fräulein's fascinating gaze fixed upon ulrica and saw it hastily turn to an indulgent smile as the eyes became conscious moving for a moment without reaching her in the direction of her own low chair a tap came at the door and anna's flat tones like a voluble mechanical doll announced a postal official waiting in the hall for ulrica with a package ein packet ah wailed ulrica rising her hands trembling her great eyes radiant fräulein sent her off with solomon to superintend the signing and payments and give help with the unpacking the little heiress she said devoutly with her wide smile as she returned from the door oh said miriam politely see nun miss henderson concluded fräulein handing her the book and indicating the passage ulrica had just read nun see she repeated brightly and minna drew her chair a little nearer making a small group section four schiller she saw at the top of the page and the title of the poem der spaziergang miriam laid the book on the end of her knee and leaning over it read nervously her tones reassured her she noticed that she read very slowly breaking up the rhythm into sentences and authoritatively as if she were recounting an experience of her own she knew at first that she was reading like a cultured person and that fräulein would recognize this at once she knew that the perfect assurance of her pronunciation would make it seem that she understood every word 
but soon these feelings gave way to the sense half grasped of a serpentine path winding and mounting through a wood of a glimpse of a distant valley of flocks and villages and of her unity with fräulein and mina seeing and feeling all these things together she finished the passage fräulein quietly commended her reading and mina said something about her earnestness miss henderson is always a little earnest said fräulein affectionately section five are you dressed hendy miriam who had sat up in her bath when the drumming came at the door answered sleepily no i shan't be a minute don't you want to see the diving all jimmy's fingers seemed to be playing exercises against the panels miriam wished she would restrain them and leave her alone she did not in the least wish to see the diving i shan't be a minute she shouted crossly and let her shoulders sink once more under the comforting water it was the first warm water she had encountered since that night when mademoiselle had carried the jugs upstairs her soap so characterless in the chilly morning basin lathered freely in the warmth and was fragrant in the steamy air when jimmy's knocking came she was dreaming blissfully of baths with harriet the dissipated baths of the last six months between tea and dinner with a theatre or a dance ahead harriet her hair strained tightly into a white crocheted net her snub face shining through the thick steam tubbing and jesting at the wide end of the huge porcelain bath herself at the narrow end commanding the taps under the steam-dimmed beams of the red-globed gas-jets sponge-bites and those wonderful summer bathings when they had come in from long tennis-playing in the sun filled the bath with cold water and sat in the silence of broad daylight immersed to the neck confronting each other seeing no sign of anything she could recognize as a towel she pulled at a huge drapery hanging like a counterpane in front of a coil of pipes extending halfway to the ceiling the pipes were too hot to touch and the heavy drapery was more than warm and obviously meant for drying purposes sitting wrapped in its folds dizzy and depressed she longed for the flourish of a rough towel and a window open at the top she could see no ventilation of any kind in her white cell by the time her heavy outdoor things were on she was faint with exhaustion and hurried down the corridor towards the shouts and splashings echoing in the great open glass-roofed swimming-bath she was just in time to see a figure in scarlet and white standing out on the high gallery at the end of a projecting board which broke the little white balustrade throw up its arms and leap out and flash its joined hands pointed downwards towards the water its white feet sweeping up like the tail of a swooping bird cleave the green water and disappear the huge bath was empty of bathers and smoothly rippling save where the flying body had cleaved it and left wavelets and bubbles the girls most of them in their outdoor things were gathered in a little group near the marble steps leading down into the water farthest from where the diver had dropped stirring and exclaiming as miriam was approaching them 
a red-capped head came cleanly up out of the water near the steps and she recognized the strong jaw and gleaming teeth of gertrude she neither spluttered nor shook her head her eyes were wide and smiling and her raucous laugh rang out above the applause of the group of girls miriam paused under the overhanging gallery her eyes went incredulously up to the springboard it seemed impossible and all that distance above the water her gaze was drawn to the flicking of the curtain of one of the little compartments lining the gallery section six hello handy let me get into my cubicle gertrude stood before her dripping and smiling however on earth did you do it said miriam gazing incredulously at the ruddy wet face gertrude's smile broadened go on she said shaking the drops from her chin it's all in the day's work in the hard clear light miriam saw that the teeth that looked so gleaming and strong in the distance were slightly ribbed and fluted and had serrated edges large stoppings showed like shadows behind the thin shells of the upper front ones even Gertrude might be ill one day. But she would never be ill and sad and helpless. That was clear from the neat way she plunged in through her curtains. Miriam's eyes went back to the row of little curtained recesses in the gallery. The drapery that had flapped was now half withdrawn. The light from the glass roof fell upon the top of a head flung back and shaking its mane of hair. The profile was invisible but the sheeny hair rippled in thick gilded waves almost to the floor. How hateful of her, thought Miriam. How beautiful. I should be just the same if I had hair like that. That's Germany. Lohengrin. She stood adoring. Stay and talk while I get on my togs, came Gertrude's voice from behind her curtains. Miriam glanced towards the marble steps. The little group had disappeared she turned helplessly towards Gertrude's curtains. She could not think of anything to say to her. She was filled with apprehension. I wonder what we shall do tomorrow, she presently murmured. I don't, gasped Gertrude, toweling. Miriam waited for the prophecy. Old Lamans back from Geneva, came the harsh, panting voice. Pastor Laman? repeated Miriam. None other, madame. Have you seen him? went on Miriam dimly, wishing that she might be released. Scott's Wahay, no. But I saw Lily's frills. The billows of gold hair in the gallery were being piled up by two little hands, white and plump like Eve's, but with quick, clever, irritating movements. And a thin, sweet, self-conscious voice began singing, do meine Seele. Miriam lost interest in the vision. They were all the same. Men liked creatures like that. She could imagine that girl married. Lily and his wife were great friends, Gertrude was saying. She's dead, you know. Is she? said Miriam emphatically. She used to be always coming when I first came over. Scotswa, blow! got a pin hendy we shan't have his thanks you're a saint his boys in the schoolroom any more now are those pastor laman's boys 
said Miriam, noticing Gertrude's hair was coarse. Each hair a separate thread. She's the wiry, plucky kind. How she must despise me, said her mind. Well, said Gertrude, switching back her curtain to lace her boots. Long may Lily beam. I like summer weather myself. Miriam turned away. Gertrude, half-dressed behind the curtains, was too clever for her. She could not face her unveiled with vacant eyes. The summer is jolly, isn't it? she said uneasily. You're right, my friend. Hello, there's Emkin looking for you. I expect the Germans have just finished their annual. They never come into the Schwimmbad. They're always too late. I should think you'd better toddle them home, Hendy. The darlings might catch cold. Don't we all go together? We go as we are ready from this establishment. Just anyhow, as long as we're not in ones or twos. Lily won't have twos, as I dare say you've observed. Be good, my child, she said heartily, drawing on her second boot, and you'll be happy. Sehr, sehr happy, I hope, Hendy. Section 7 Thank you, laughed Miriam. Emma's hands were on her muff, stroking it eagerly. Hendkin, Hendkin, she cooed in her consoling tones. To house, to house, I am so angry. Hangry. Hungry. Hungry, yes, and Minna and Clara is ready. Come. The child linked arms with her and pulled Miriam towards the corridor. Once out of sight under the gallery, she slipped her arm round Miriam's waist. Oh, Hentgen, my darling beautiful, you have so lovely taint after your bath. Oh, I am so hangry. Oh, Hentgen, I love you so. I am so happy. Kiss me one small, small kiss. What a baby you are, said Miriam half-turning as the girl's warm lips brushed the angle of her jaw. Yes, we'll go home. Come along. The corridor was almost airless. She longed to get out into the open. They found Minna at a table in the entrance hall, her head propped on her hand, snoring gently. Clara sat near her with closed eyes. As the little party of four making its way home, cleansed and hungry, united and happy, stood for a moment on a tree-planted island, halfway across a wide open space. Minna, with her eager smile, said, gazing, Oh, I would like a glass beer. Miriam saw very distinctly the clear sunlight on the boles of the trees, showing every ridge and shade of color as it had done on the peaked summer-house porch in the morning. The girls closed in on her during the moment of disgust which postponed her response. Dear Hentkin, we are alone. Just we nice four. Just only one most little small glass. Just one. Kind best Hentkin, she heard. She pushed her way through the little group, pretending to ignore their pleadings and to look for obstacles to their passage to the opposite curb. She felt her disgust was absurd and was asking herself why the girls should not have their beer. She would like to watch them, she knew, these little German frows to be. 
serenely happy at their beer-table on this bright afternoon. They closed in on her again. Emma in the gutter in front of her. She felt arms and hands, and the pleading voices besieging her again. Emma's upturned tragic face, her usually motionless lips, a beseeching tunnel. Her chin and throat moving to her ardent words made Miriam laugh. It was disgusting. No, no, she said hastily, backing away from them to the end of the island. Of course not. Come along. Don't be silly. The elder girls gave in. Emma kept up a little solo of reproach hanging on Miriam's arm. Very strict, cold English. No beer. I want to home. I have beer to home. Until they were in sight of the high walls of Waldstrasse. Section 8 Pastor Lamon gave a French lesson the next afternoon. Sir Lo, si beau. This refrain threatening for the third time, three or four of the girls led by Bertha Martin, supplied it in a subdued sing-song, without waiting for Pastor Lamon's slow voice. Miriam had scarcely attended to his discourse. He had begun in flat, easy tones, describing his visit to Geneva. The snow-clad mountains, the quiet lake, the spring flowers. His words brought her no vision, and her mind wandered, half-tethered. But when he began reading the poem, she sank into the rhythm and turned towards him, and fixed expectant eyes upon his face. His expression disturbed her. Why did he read with that half-smile? She felt sure that he felt they were young ladies, demoiselles, jeunes filles. She wanted to tell him she was nothing of the kind, and take the book from him and show him how to read. His eyes, soft and brown, were the eyes of a child. She noticed that the lower portion of his flat white cheeks looked broader than the upper, without giving an effect of squareness of jaw. Then the rhythm took her again, and with the second Sir Low Cibot, she saw a very blue lake and a little boat with latine sails, and during the third verse began to forget the lifeless voice. As the murmured refrain came from the girls, there was a slight movement in Fräulein's sofa corner. Miriam did not turn her eyes from Pastor Lamon's face to look at her, but half expected that at the end of the next verse her low, clear, devout tones would be heard joining in part way through the verse with a startling sweep of draperies against the leather covering of the sofa. Fräulein stood up and towered extraordinarily tall at Pastor Lamon's right hand. Her eyes were wide. Miriam thought she had never seen anyone look so pale. She was speaking very quickly in German. Pastor Lamon rose and faced her. Miriam had just grasped the fact that she was taking the French master to task for reading poetry to his pupils, and heard Pastor Lamon slowly and politely inquire of her whether she or he were conducting the lesson, when the two voices broke out together, Fräulein's fiercely voluble and the Herr Pastor's voluble and mocking and polite. The two voices continued as he made his way bowing gravely down the far side of the table to the saal doors, 
Here he turned for a moment, and his face shone black and white against the dark panelling. Na, Kinder, crooned Fräulein gently, when he had disappeared. A walk, a walk in the beautiful sunshine. Make ready quickly. My sainted uncle, laughed Bertha, as they trooped down the basement stairs. Oh, my stars! Did you see her eyes? Ja, utend. I wonder the poor little man wasn't burnt up. Hurry up, Madchens. We'll have a ripping walk. We'll see if we can go dear Gartenstrasse. Does this sort of thing often happen? asked Miriam, finding herself bending over a boot-box at Gertrude's side. Gertrude turned and winked at her. Only sometimes. What an awful temper she must have, pursued Miriam. Gertrude laughed. End of chapter 6, part 1